0: Hey guys, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I had tried different diets, exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that really thrives on you not getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that... Being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love. Play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business, all while feeling great. To give a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to access my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and that the show is really sponsored by you guys. Each of you that works with me that I am able to take on as a client helps me to be able to keep putting out these podcasts for free, so I just want to thank you, each of you, for your love and support. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Arouski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 108. Today's episode... I get to interview again dr drew virtualino be sure to stick around for the end of the episode to hear about drew's kettlebell competition vasper training and what to do about insomnia all guys and welcome to another episode of the bare naked health podcast and online today, uh, have Dr. Drew Vircholino back on. Uh, Dr. Drew, what what is uh, what is new since the last time we talked with you?
1: Oh man, uh, so one thing that's been really cool is I think I mentioned it last time we were talking developing some kettlebell workshops. And yeah, yeah. Uh, a mutual friend of ours, Mike, Mike Salemi, we we did one we did one we did actually did two together um, a couple weeks back. And then uh, I had a competition that I've been training for for a while. That went really well. Hit hit a uh, new PR for myself. Excellent. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one. And I think it's in five weeks on May May 6th. Uh, so that one's going to be in San Jose.
0: What do you compete in then? I, I mean, if everybody's listened to, like, hey, go back, listen to the first episode here. We talked about the uh, sport of kettlebell and everything. But there are different things that you can do with the sport, right? So what are the specific lifts that you do?
1: Uh, I primarily do the long cycle, which is repetitive, uh, clean and jerks with two kettlebells.
0: (laughs) So, and that's how long? 10 minutes, right?
1: 10 minutes. Yeah. The worst, the worst, but best 10 minutes of your life.
0: (laughs) So what is, what are some of the differences on that? Because, okay, I know like you could go with the 16 kilo, the 24 kilo. I mean, I going on and on up, I'm not really sure like what that really, uh, ends up being then like is it just hey you just go to town until you can't go anymore pretty much
1: yeah that's it i mean obviously on your training um your training's meant to get you prepared for the competition and that's where you go all in on you know where normally you would stop because you're like hey you know this isn't going to be a quality rep um During the competition, that's when you're going to want to push it, just that that little extra bit. Um, But yeah, so 10 minutes, usually, you know, based on the energy systems, if you kind of go into the uh, exercise physiology, you'll you'll see this like three to five minute window when you switch over from, man, I can't even remember if I was to go back and study. But there's like that three to five minute window. You know, when your energy system starts to dip, and then you're yeah. just relying, I mean, in my opinion, you're almost relying on, on adrenaline to kind of get you through. So, five minutes, not too bad. Ten minutes, sucks. <laughs> but, uh, but it's fun when you can push yourself. And um, what I realized in this last competition, I got to like eight minutes and 30 or 40 seconds, and that's when my mind started to drift, and as soon as I started to drift, um, I, I I almost psyched myself out of it. So I only got to nine minutes, and then I put the bells down. But, um, you know, that was a new record for me. So I know now, coming into the May competition, I'll be able to go that whole ten minutes. It's just a matter of i never gotten there before. So, you know, now I'm ready to go. So that's, like, the big thing I realized is, like, I've ran a marathon before. That was probably even worse <laughs> and uh i mean for anyone who's ever ran a marathon before it depends on how you train but i would always run eight miles as like a regular thing and so when i was doing the marathon i'm totally getting sidetracked here but when i was doing the marathon you know i ran 18 miles and i saw the mile marker 18 and i was like oh thank god there's only eight miles left because in my mind eight miles only took me so long And I had already done so much. So it's kind of a different, different mindset you put yourself into as far as like what's left or, uh, you know, how far I've gone, like, oh, this is just normal training for me.
0: Well, now do you do like strictly mental training as part of your preparation or do you basically combine that with any of your, uh, normal training days where you're working with the kettlebells or just other weights in general?
1: Um, I do my best to push a little bit during training, like a little bit beyond the quote unquote comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always have like, I don't, know, I don't know if you want to call them mantras or affirmations for myself, but one of the ones that a couple people know me by is just like, you can do anything for a minute. Okay. Like I always tell myself that you can do anything for a minute. And if you can do it for a minute, you can do it for 10 so suck it up, and um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends. People are motivated by different things, right? Like some people are motivated by negative uh, talk, some people are motivated by positive talk, or, or whatever it may be. I'm motivated by my own self-talk. Like, come on, dude, it's only ten minutes. Like, you got you got these other people who are doing it. They're same weight as you, same everything else. Why can't you do it? And so you know mentally coming into the competition if you're prepared or not by how confident you feel. Because if you've done the training, then theoretically you should be able to hit the set. The only thing that would hold you back from getting your numbers is your mental capacity because you've already done all the work.
0: So Um, then what are you doing? Oh, no, I was going to say, what are you doing between now and May to uh, not necessarily just improve mentally, but like also what else you learned? Like is your training going to be adapted in any way or do you feel pretty locked in with that?
1: Um, I feel like my training is pretty locked in. Uh, The big thing for me was just hitting that goal that I did. Mm -hmm. Um, Just gave me the confidence to be like, oh, okay, well I did nine minutes. Hey, there's only one minute left. You can do anything for a minute, right? Um, (laughs) As long as I... Continue my training the way it was and make sure the maintenance is on point. So when I do my training, I'd say probably 30 or 40 percent of my actual uh, routine, not even half, but less than half is focused on the actual uh, the lift itself, which is the clean and jerk. and, And then different components of it. Everything else is mobility. Uh, developing different aspects of sort of athleticism overall. um, Because the the clean and jerk is just a very linear movement. Mm -hmm. It's straightforward, straight back, like a swing. Um, And I feel like there's a lot of your body parts that aren't being hit or, or trained. So you can get these overuse, underdevelopment, overdevelopment type of injuries. So in that aspect, it's like, okay, how else can I train lateral movement, uh, diagonal movement patterns, all sorts of things to make sure that I'm being an over, overall around athlete instead of just a linear kettlebell guy. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. And I think that's an important concept to bring up because people will look at a sport like that or a sport like powerlifting or weightlifting where it's, there's, there's very few there's, there's very minimal movement involved. It's it's Like you said, it's very linear. There's not this side-to-side. There's not this rotation. There's not this jumping element to it, this landing element. I mean, it's just, like you said, it's swinging it overhead, swinging it and going overhead, just over and over yeah. and over. But that doesn't necessarily, that makes you strong in those movements, but that doesn't necessarily help you move better or just be strong overall.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's, I mean, I, I look at it, the thing I've always noticed the most is, uh, well, (laughs) I think one of the groups of people that tends to get, get a bashing or get made fun of quite a bit is like runners. Yes. Um, people that love to run and running's awesome. I, I love it. But, um, also if you're just running on pavement or you're just running straight and you're not getting like the undulating surfaces of doing trail running, you're missing out on a lot of the other benefits that you could be getting as far as your overall health. Uh, It's great that you're getting some cardio and you're moving around, but, you know, those are the people that tend, if they just go from couch potato to 5K or marathon, you know, there's there's shin splints and plantar fasciitis and knee problems and hip problems. If you go from couch potato to kettlebell lifting, you know, you might get back problems and shoulder problems. It, It all just depends on what you do, but... The the bottom line is is you got to have some variety in your training, right?
0: Is there any any new lifts that you've uh, recently added back ah. in, or just uh, started messing around with and found that hey, this was awesome?
1: Um, lifts, let me see, or even
0: movements I, like mobility yeah. stuff, like any of that, where it's just like had a really profound impact for your training.
1: Yeah, you know what's funny is I every once in a while I'll scroll through the Facebook feeds and I'll see this. Um, I don't know if it's gold medal bodies or gymnastic bodies. I I can't really tell the difference. Um, I know there are a couple different one ones it. out there, yeah. Yeah, but they do a lot of groundwork, and there's like this primal movement and all these different things. But I've just found crawling, uh, different types of crawling patterns, side planks, regular planks, and then like a prone... Um, prone cobra pose, I guess you'd say, where you're, nice. where you're really using your, your low back and your upper back to lift you off the ground um, for postural stabilization and just strengthening your back muscles overall. I think those are some phenomenal things that I've seen, Like, and I've told this to multiple people, but this competition I went into, uh, this was the first time I wasn't in, in some sort of nagging pain in my shoulder or my hip or anything like that because I've been doing those other supportive exercises
0: that's huge i mean like you said the first time you've done it but i mean you've been working at the sport you've been working on your body for how long but you've kind of finally started to come into that where that's something that people need to recognize because hey whatever the damage you've done to your body it's not going to go away overnight like you've been working on this for probably quite some time and it's finally like still coming to light and you're like wow this is this is awesome and you're setting prs i mean everything's coming into place
1: yeah no it's awesome like uh, I've told only a few people, but, I mean, when I was originally training for the RKC, the, the first kettlebell cert I got back in 2009, uh, you know, the test at that time was you need to be able to do five military presses with a 24-kilo bell, and then you also have to do the snatch test, which is 100 snatches in five minutes with the 24-kilo bell. And, uh, and my body weight at that time, I was only, I think it was 10 pounds over the minimum weight to where I could have used a little bit lighter of a bell. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, for me, it was just a little more difficult to, to get my energy levels up to, to do those different tests. Uh, and then I ended up injuring my shoulder cause it was just so much pressing, so much pressing snatches, you know, twice a week. And uh, I actually injured my shoulder to the point where I couldn't do anything overhead for a good two or three months. And that was back in 2009. And so I've always had kind of a nagging shoulder problem that, you know, I'd get some soft tissue work done. You know, I'd lay off of it for a while and it would get better. And then I would push it too much and we'd get injured. And I would repeat that cycle over and over and over again, which I'm sure many people have for whatever kind of injury it is whether it's your knee, or your shoulder, your ankle, Um, and it wasn't until recently, within the past six months or so, I've just been like, hey, you know what, I've been neglecting this, I've been neglecting that, as far as these, like, crawling and planking and all these types of things, and uh, it's just been a world of a difference in implementing that now.
0: Well... I'm curious now because you talked about like working on some of the workshops and stuff with Mike. Uh, is, is any of what we've been talking about in that or do you want to kind of go into that? Like some of the performance work, the upper cervical work, like have you been tying all that together?
1: Yeah. So when we do the, we kind of break it down. So we, we have our niches, right? The, the one we did a couple weeks ago was kettlebells for combat athletes. So we mm-hmm. went to a Taekwondo gym. Um, you know, these guys have, awesome flexibility they can kick overhead Um, but the thing that the one of the premises that we put behind it or that I emphasize on quite a bit was yes you may be able to get your leg over your head and kick someone in a very rapid movement which requires flexibility but do you have strength in that extreme range of motion so a way a way that you can look at that or sort of reverse engineer the like an overhead roundhouse kick like something where your legs way up overhead is in order for that leg to go overhead you have to have stability with the other hip throughout the core so you can develop the power to transfer it from the floor to your foot right Mm -hmm. and um one of the things we worked on was how can we mimic a similar movement using using your strength and the movement we came up with was like and it's not we didn't, we didn't come up with it it's already there it's just the Cossack squat where you're going into an extreme hip flexion external rotation you need good knee over foot alignment with the bent leg and then your straight leg that's off to the side that's also in some hip flexion external rotation and if you don't have stability throughout your core mobility throughout your hips. Um, you know, you don't have the soft tissue movement in your in your legs. You're just not going to be able to get there without coming up on your toes. And here we have high-level, Olympic-level athletes who can't even do a Cossack squat on a flat foot. But they can kick overhead, and they're, you know, I'm not sure if they're all gold medalists, but I know some of them are are really, really high-level guys. And it's like, oh, wow, here's here's a high-level performing person but they can't do this basic movement that's required in order to get to those kicks. So what's the damage that they're are they doing or possibly doing to their bodies when they're doing these repetitive, quick movements? And then we can pick it up during a slow movement like a Cossack squat, especially if we load it with some weight. Um, We can see these sort of defaults to where these injuries can add up. And it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, right? It just takes a lot, a lot of work and a lot of repetitions before your tissue will break down.
0: Yeah, because they're, I mean, sure, like their muscles can go through that range of motion, the joints, I mean everything, but now there's so much stress put on those ligaments, on those joints because those muscles aren't stabilizing clearly at that point. Uh, And it's funny, like you mentioned the Cossack squat, that's one of my favorite ones. And it's, for me, it's like, it's never the leg that I'm going over. It's always that opposite adductor where I'm just, getting a huge stretch. And that's just showing me like, all right, that's the one that I need to keep working on to not only be able to stabilize in that position, but have that soft tissue extensibility to get there too.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so the, the point I emphasize with the upper cervical and just chiropractic in general is that those muscles, actually, maybe I can get your input on this, you know, being more of your, your, you do more with the training than I do, but um, those muscles, let's just say it is an adductor of the straight leg, if that feels tight or whatnot, you you know you have to look at it as to why that's going on. Mm-hmm. One, you're just not familiar with that movement. And so what I tend to see is if you're not familiar with the movement in extreme range of motion, it'll feel tight, quote-unquote tight. Um, but it's usually because the muscle is contracting to prevent tissue damage because it's not used to that movement. And in order for that to happen, you have to have a nerve signal going to a muscle, mm-hmm. right? Muscles muscles won't contract on their own; they need they need a signal. And um, another thing is, just, like, you could, you could just be sore from some sort of repetitive movement that you do. Um, maybe you did squats the day before, so it's tight. So there could be numer- numerous reasons why you might yeah. But feel take
0: it. that one out because that's like again, that could be just dependent on the day. So that shouldn't really that's not going to be the limiting factor. That just happened to be that day then.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. So, but one of the things I talk about or that I kind of think about, I guess you'd say, is let's just take the Cossack squat, for example, on that mm-hmm. straight leg, what would be a way to help stabilize the hip joint, you know, by activating or or overemphasizing the adductor. So what I cue sometimes is Push your heel into the ground, but not only just push it into the ground by contracting your quads, mm. but pull it into the ground by using your adductor and using some of the the muscles on the back side of the leg to help stabilize the hip. And think about pulling yourself uh, across and switching to the other side. Uh, yeah. It's kind of a hard thing to explain over the phone, but like if if I was to show you, it's sort of you know use that muscle while it's there and you'll be able to feel the difference um, no, Drew, i
0: think that definitely makes sense that way actually uh yeah i 100 agree with it because it it made definitely complete sense like uh, with the way that you said that it's basically yeah you're trying to in essence you're trying to pull your legs together again um but obviously not let the knees cave in but yeah you yeah, have exactly. to because that's where you're looking for that muscle, but I I would even say not necessarily pull yourself across, but I mean, hold it, do it as a stretch then like, okay, if I go over my left leg to start, right, my right leg's out Mm -hmm. straight to the opposite side, do maybe a little bit of contract relax. So contract for three to five seconds, relax into that stretch a little bit further for three to five seconds, like get that on off. So now you're going to get that feedback, but it's also going to let you go a little bit deeper into that range to let your body get acclimated to it as well.
1: Exactly, and then also, you know, um, I just so I've been working on it for a really long time so I can get into that range of motion with without much of an issue. Um, and so there I think there's a little bit of a psychological part when working with someone, especially these high level athletes, where I'm demoing like, hey, I can do it flat foot. that's great. You should be able to do this too. I, I think there might be a little bit of a psychological part where it's discouraging for some to not be able to Get into that certain position. Um, and that's fine. You just work at it, you know, work in a less range of motion until you get the confidence so that you can eventually get down into it. And that's part of the I don't like to call it muscle memory because I really don't think your muscles have memory. I think your mm-hmm. brain has memory. <laughs> uh, it's just a matter of you know, the neuroplasticity and are you familiar with it so that your is confident it's not going to tear or damage any tissue when you go down to that position.
0: Well, I think that mental fear is part of it, but I also think that if you're if you're working with somebody that high of a level, I mean they're probably so hard charged it's probably two two things, like their egos letting saying to themselves, uh, screw that, I don't need to do that. Uh, that's uh-huh. like that's not part of my training. Or yep. they're going to do anything and everything uh, that they can because they know that's going to give them the last little edge that they need to be stable, to be more powerful, to have more longevity in the sport, like so on and so forth.
1: Yeah. And that, that's kind of what I like to more or less encourage. Like, hey, you know, if you're not there, let's let's try to help you get you there because I know this is going to help you in the long run. Whether it's performance and or longevity or the combination of the both, like, Let's just do it. And if it only takes you a couple extra minutes per session, well, work on it until you get it and then just maintain it.
0: So are there any other things that you guys are uh, working on going over together in these things? Like they really had uh, maybe just a lot, like seemed pretty profound. Like when you did it, like you had a lot of good feedback from it even.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't even touch on the chiropractic part. <laughs> yeah. Let's go into the, that. yeah, the, well, so the thing like, Let's just say you were to bend forward, straight legs, and you're trying to touch your toes. A lot of people can do it. A lot of people can't. Um, One of the reasons people can't do it, you know, maybe they're just not used to it. They feel tight in their hamstrings. Well, a lot of times what happens is the hamstrings will actually contract in order to prevent you from falling forward. Follow me on that part? That's kind of like the... Yeah, so... People say, oh, my hamstrings are tight, and basically what that is is that's a reflex, right? You're going forward. You have your um, vestibular system in your head, in your, in your inner ear, saying, okay, head's going forward. we got to make sure that we counterbalance and muscles are activated or they're not activated. Um, you have your eyesight. Most people have their eyes open. And then you also have mechanoreceptive information coming from the feet, the legs, your whole entire body. And so your brain, cerebellum, and all has to make a, an appropriate calculation to say, we need to contract X, Y, and Z muscles so you don't fall over and hit your head because if you hit your head, that's bad. <laughs> so it'll contract usually your hamstrings and/or your calves, you know, more or less, prevent you from touching your toes. So that's reflex, right? Mm-hmm. But what if it's what if it's a centrally based problem and it's you know we do we go through the typical um, FMS type of correction where you put your toes up on the two by four, Mm -hmm. touch your toes 10 times, put your heels up on the two by four, and then let's repeat, test and repeat. I've seen it where that works a large percentage of the time you work on their breathing and just soft tissue movement and it it works a lot, but sometimes there's a central, you know, central nervous system issue. That's where this upper cervical thing comes in because ultimately, Well, whether it's the nerves going to your legs, whether it's the nerves going to your abs, they all have to come up and pass through the brainstem. You know, second, second, um, oh, geez, what's the name of it? Basically, there's neurons that receive information. Mm -hmm. They have to make a connection in the brainstem before they go up to your cerebrum and make according changes. Uh, So they all have to go up through there. And there's a, there's a kind of a choke point up there. And that's C1, C2, where there's a bombardment of information and sort of information overload if that's not moving properly. So simply checking that using some objective criteria, which I'm sure Dr. Moss went over when you talked to him. Mm -hmm. um, It's just a matter of seeing, are you sort of stuck in this non-adaptive state, and how do we get you out of it? That way, the corrective exercises that you do will actually be that much more effective. And, um, you know, I've seen it both ways. One, doing the corrective exercises. You can go from 12 inches away from your toes to touching them. But I've also seen it the opposite way where we make one adjustment or several adjustments over a period of, you know, weeks or months. And without even doing any kind of exercise, they're able to do it. So I've, I've seen it both ways. Um, my thought is why not a combination of both? they take you even to the next level.
0: And I love thinking about it that way because anybody that bends over to touch their toes right now, like they just drop down 99% of the time people are just gonna be like, like exactly how you said before my hamstrings are tight. I can't do it. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's so much more to it. And, And that's the beauty of it. Like recognizing that. Yeah. There, there might be some shortening to your hamstrings, but that's not really like, a very good objective measure of hamstring length anyway. Cause if your spine's not flexing, uh, if your nervous system is very, um uh, just charged for some reason, like you said, that could be going still all the way up to the brainstem where it's not allowing anything to move properly. I mean, there's, there's so much else to it than just the hamstrings. I think the hamstrings, like everybody loves going back to the hamstrings. Like, Oh, you got to stretch them, got to stretch them, got to stretch them for so many yeah. different things. And it's like, well, w- what else could be going on? Like, I have some people come in, they'll like put their legs straight up over their head. They're like, yeah, I have my hamstrings get tight when I get to this point. I'm like, yeah, but y- you're not tight. You're just getting to a top point. Like you have no stability whatsoever at that point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, way, no, I mean, exactly. It, it just gets sometimes frustrating to think that, oh, well, it, wherever you're feeling something like that's exactly where it has to be coming from, that there's really is so much more involved, even and more and more, the closer you get to the, to the brain there, the brainstem, I mean, there's so much input at that area that it's now not just the muscles, not just the nerves. I mean, this is coming from all of your organs and every sensation in your body is going and feeding through that point. So if you're not having that proper functioning, something's got to give.
1: Yep. And uh, so I, I've been using this analogy recently to explain it. And uh, it was actually kind of cool. I was... It's kind of twofold. One is, you know, if if you ever talk to anyone who's ever had a, a quote-unquote slip disc or a bulging disc in their mm-hmm. low back, and they, they're, you know, burning, shooting pain in their legs, and, you know, they got muscle atrophy where their muscles are shrinking, whether mm-hmm. it's in their calf or just their leg overall. If you look at their MRI and you see the disc touching the nerve, And, you know, I'm not sure if they've ever been able to actually formulate a study to see how much physical pressure is on the nerve itself, but the foramen in which the nerve passes through the, you know, to get out through the vertebral column, it's a pretty big hole and the nerve is pretty small. Mm -hmm. And the amount of pressure is not too much, Um, you know, maybe a couple ounces at the most as far as... Know you know uh, ounces per square inch or pounds per square inch. Right. It it's not much pressure. A, a simple way to do it is if you ever felt your quote unquote funny bone or your ulnar nerve that passes through your elbow there. Mm-hmm. You just put a little bit of pressure and you can feel it all the way down in your in your you know the tingliness in your hands. That's a teeny bit of pressure, on a single nerve, causing you symptoms downstream. You follow me?
0: Absolutely. I, and I love that analogy, the, by the way. that that's actually really helpful.
1: Yeah. And then so the thing is is, what if we go higher up to the top and there's a little bit of pressure on the bundle of nerves that go to every single part of your body? now what are we looking at? It's unmeasurable to see <laughs> what the effects could be, right? Because yeah, your body is going to be set up a slightly different fr- differently from me, and so you may have big toe pain or dysfunction in your big toe, which changes your, um, your kinetic chain. And I may have problems in my left knee. So my popliteus isn't functioning right. And my my tibia externally rotates too much because that whole thing's messed up. Right. So we can all have different things and the next person can have a little bit of pressure at the brainstem and they may have digestive issues. It all, it all comes together at the top. So that's kind of like the first part. And the analogy I use, kind of getting back to my point, was I was talking to my dad um, a couple of weeks ago and I was explaining to him how all this information has to pass up through the brainstem. And there's this theory of spillover, disafferentation, and uh, basically just bombardment of information. And so only high priority items can pass up to the brain and, and you can adapt to your environment. He was telling me, because he worked for the he worked for the phone companies like PacDell and all that stuff, and they would run wires, you know, from your wall to your phone and mm-hmm. to the main server room and all that stuff. Well, what he was saying is back in the day, they just used to shove all the wires together, zip tie them super tight and, and stick them through the pipes. No big deal, because it all used to be just phone information, just audio. Mm-hmm. And then when they started running Cat 5 wire, for your data, like your internet and all that stuff, um, what they notice is when they would do the zip ties too tight and they would pass them through uh, cramped up areas, make these sharp 90 degree turns where there's kinks in the wires, they would get information spillover. So, one, internet would just slow down a little bit, and two, it, they would often find glitches or just, uh, you know, the system wasn't working quite optimally. And so simple solution, take the pressure off the wires, you know, don't make the zip ties so tight. And all of a sudden things started working better. And I'm like, oh my God, that's the same, that's the same or if not a very similar system to the way the body is wired up. When you have these, when you have the pressure too tight um, kinks in in the system, you'll get information spillover. And so to give you an idea, it's like if you've ever sat your phone next to some speakers and you hear that like tick, 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 tick sort of sound, mm-hmm. that's that's the 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 signal transferring over to another, another frequency and causing a little bit of spillover. So you fuzzy up the signal and then give that enough time, you can get some issues.
0: That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> but just, yeah, I'm just I'm so simply, like, though, that's the beauty of it.
1: Yeah, and and, it's, and you know what? What's what's um, what I might find confusing if I didn't have a background in this knowledge is like, man, that sounds so simple. It's too easy. It's got to be more complicated than that. But it's not. I, I've st- I'm trying to make it more complicated as I'm thinking about it, but I can't. I can't figure it out how it can be more complicated. It's, you know, we conduct our information throughout our body through electrical signals, and that has to be you know done in a certain way well if, if it's electrical signals then we got to make sure that we are pro- properly hydrated because we know the conductivity of electricity works better with you know when it when there's water around and then we got to make sure our temperature is right so if we overheat we shut down your computer overheats it shuts down we're we're not much different than that we got we got to maintain a certain temperature that's why when you get hot you'll sweat you know, uh, yeah, the body's it's, it's so really self-regulating
0: really cool. from that standpoint.
1: Yeah. And when you don't, when you have a lack of regulation, lack of adaptation, then you start to see symptoms. It just takes a while for it to show up because we, we tend to be very resilient creatures.
0: So now I'm thinking about this all like, well, I, <laughs> I, I guess, no, where I was going to take that was You said like something like that, it's so simple. And that's a lot of health though. Like you said, drink enough water. Like it's, do you want to make it more complicated? Well, you can, but if you're not doing that, it still isn't going to matter. Take the pressure off of the nerve plexus, the nerve bundle, whatever it looks like. Hey, it's about as simple as it gets like to do that. Uh, But I mean, even just down to other things like eat real food. It's about that simple. Right. Like, make sure you get sleep. It's about that simple. And once you've started to put all of these things into place and you're still having problems, okay, maybe there are other things to look at, but start with these basics first.
1: Yep. That's one of my core just life fundamentals, you know, get back to the basics. Um, you know, one of the analogies I, I always like to use is like, I'm, I'm not a boxer by no means do I know everything about it, but if you sort of look at it from a, from an outside standpoint, there's only four punches. You know, there's a, <laughs> there's a jab, there's a jab across a hook and an uppercut and then a combination of those. Right. So if you just get really good at that, I mean, what else is there? I don't know if a back that, I don't know if a spinning back, this is legal in boxing, but <laughs> you Either know, way, like you said, it,
0: it, it takes so much more to do that. It's just the same thing. Like, it takes that much more effort to look into so many other things to perfect other things that just get the easy stuff first and then move on. Sorry. So, all right, talking all right, about phone's that even, now, can you hear me? Oh yeah, yeah. We're good. Okay. Um, what was it? Oh, I was gonna say, so like as far as like the simple things, is there still anything that you struggle with yourself where it's like, Hey, out of all these things, like this is the one I still have to really keep myself on point with the most.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but the biggest thing, and I don't know if this is for anyone else, I would assume so. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's where I do a lot of focus and kind of marketing and make all these um, efforts to educate people is on sleep. Okay. Um, you know, I, I struggled with insomnia, I guess you would call it, for a really long time. I had a hard time falling asleep. Once I got asleep, I would wake up every hour on the hour. Um, just crazy sleep issues. And if I go back... I I know I set myself up for it, working you know two two jobs, going to school. And I was working as a bar back for a while, so I would stay up till two or three in the morning, several days a week, and just you know thrash my my adrenals and just my overall health. Um, and that set me up for this this sleeping issue, and so now it's a constant uh, thing where I have to make efforts to make sure it's like. I go to bed on time, but then I also have to do the other small things, like make sure I don't have screen time. You know, I I like to tell people two to three hours before you go to bed. Mm -hmm. For most people, it's not realistic, you know. Um, But, uh, you know, at least two to three hours before you go to bed, no screen time, no cell phone, no computer. Um, You know, make sure you're monitoring your liquid intake within a couple hours before you go to bed uh caffeine. I, I do not like to do caffeine past one o'clock in the afternoon other than the, otherwise I'm up. But, you know, going off on a side tangent, I did that 23andMe uh test. Yeah, yeah. For your genes and I plugged it into the genetic genie thing. And it said that um in my and I don't really know if I if I really understand how it works, but it said that I have the gene that's uh slower at, at detoxing caffeine. Mm-hmm uh, so I'm wondering if maybe that's just part of my thing. Cause I've heard some people can drink coffee and go to sleep. Well, and uh, yeah, so this yeah, is a weird. Yeah. Thing. Tell Actually, me about that.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, well, no. And this is almost like posing questions. to if anybody has answers out there too, like, uh, we were just talking about it in the clinic yesterday. It's like, we, I, I had somebody, they work in a skilled nursing facility and we we're saying like, think about it. Like it, as people age, like they have coffee at every single meal of the day. Right. Like, after you have breakfast, after you have dinner, uh, like lunch, like oh, I'll have some in the afternoon. It's like they're drinking. So I'm not sure like I, or I'm curious, like what happens is the body ages like um, or are these people just their bodies are already trashed and it's not really affecting them that much because some of them are still falling asleep like 30 minutes later. I mean, it doesn't really matter. Um, but no, it, like there's there's always that standard half life of caffeine. And I think it's I always forget if it's six or eight hours. So if you have. 200 milligrams at 9 a.m. Let's say six hours later. uh, So at 3 p.m. now, there's still 100 milligrams in your body. Uh, Six hours later at 9 p.m. now, there's still 50 milligrams in the body. So there's still always going to be that effect. But, yeah, if you can't metabolize it properly and detox it out of the system, well, yeah, now you're you're, kind of screwed. Even if you're having it, you might have a a really big cup, and it might be at 8 a.m. in the morning, but if you— still can't process it. If there still is 150 milligrams floating around by the time you go to sleep, you're still going to be in trouble. Uh, so that's where, yeah, you, you found out you, you already recognized that though, even before you had the test, but the test is kind of cool to see like, Oh no, you actually can't, uh, process this properly or as quickly as others. And there's, there's still always, is going to be that midline where it's like, okay, some people, Hey, they can just do it. And I think there are so many factors though. Like how much have you trashed your adrenals already? Like how, how did coffee affect you maybe now versus like you said, 10 years ago or whatever? Like if you're staying up all night, like really, really (laughs) like burning the candle at both ends, like did it affect you differently from that standpoint too?
1: Yeah. That like, those are all things to take into consideration. And when I look back particularly on me, I'm like, yep, I was definitely burning the candle at both ends. Like school full time, working two jobs, Trying to do at that time, I I was at this MMA gym, so I wasn't uh, you know fighting, but I was training with them, and it's it's pretty hard training and um you know trying to just maintain an active life, and yeah, I just crushed myself. So there would be some days, you know, like on a Sunday morning, I would get out of the bar at like three in the morning, you know, go home, crash, wake up at seven, and then go out and do some crazy workout with the with the guys at the gym and you know you do that a couple months in a row and you're you're just you're just gone so um it's been a long road to get back to where I am now but yeah sleep sleep is like just that thing where I don't think it was a mistake made by nature otherwise it was a pretty time-wasting mistake (laughs) um you know I mean it's like Six six to eight hours a night for most people, and um what a waste of time if we didn't really need it. So I guess I, I try to mean, like, like, emphasize one of the that. Funny
0: things though, Drew. For me, is like if I get anything less than let's call it, I mean, seven and a half hours is pretty much my bare minimum. Like, I don't understand how people say like, and I guess what I'm where I'm going to preface this. I don't understand how people who are are, are hard charging like they're training heavy, they're, they're going like really, uh, just in their business and their family life. Like everything's just kind of all out and they're like, yeah, I'm pretty good on six hours of sleep. Like part of, for me is just that concept. Like I can't even wrap my head around you being able to do that, let alone like actually functioning on it. Uh, so it's just funny. Like everybody's going even back to the caffeine thing. Like everybody's so individualized on this. Like you have to figure out those simple things that you need to implement for your life.
1: Yeah and that's that's the thing that's a you know that, that's funny I'll go off on another tangent yeah, that's yeah. going to be a um, a trend that you're going to start to notice in the healthcare field is uh, I was actually listening to another podcast the other day where they were interviewing Rob Wolf in, in this new book he's got coming out about wired for wired to eat wired I think eat. it's called Yeah yeah um, but they were talking to him and he was like you know the 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 day in which, I mean, the, I guess you said the twentieth century, so the nineteen hundreds was all about um, the development of medicine, so antibiotics and vaccines and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. you know the the some of the stuff that came out of it was great. You know, like we're able to save people's lives and fight all this stuff. But people used to die back then of uh, bacteria infection simple things that today we're like, really, you know, like it's, it's no big deal. If that happens, there's a huge
0: mistake that happened kind of thing.
1: Yeah. You get food poisoning, you'll survive. Right. Right. Um, and then there's the quote unquote unintended consequences that we can't really measure. So, uh, these are all kind of theories and who knows if science can ever prove some of the stuff, but you know, antibiotic resistance, I think that's a pretty real thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's all these other thoughts of, of vaccines and all these weird outcomes of that and whatever. I don't want to get too much into that. But the the thing of today where we're seeing is chronic disease, right? So, you know, you may have rheumatoid arthritis. The next person has Parkinson's. The next person has uh, arthrosclerosis. Yeah, and so on and so forth. They're, they're
0: going to all be compounding.
1: Yeah, but there's no... You know, for everyone that has rheumatoid arthritis, they're not all going to get the exact same treatment. Okay. They're going to need individualized things because one person may live in in Omaha, Nebraska. The other person lives in San Francisco and another person lives in Dallas, Texas. They all have different environmental stimulus. They're all using different um, types of products. I mean, it's not much different than the way we should be doing things as far as you know, individualizing everyone's approach, mm-hmm. but you're going to need more people to be able to look at the bigger picture and say, oh, you know, you're using Teflon pans to cook your eggs and, you know, your, your, your breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you know, could that little bit of dosage of whatever's in there, oh, and you drink all your water out of plastic bottles, could that be making a difference? You know, and it could be something that small that's that's changing people's things. It's just a matter of are we aware of those things, or you know, are you bathing in water that has a heavy metal content to it? There's all these different things that that are going to be starting to look at,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you'll notice also um, in the healthcare system, you know, a lot of chiropractors, naturopaths, acupuncturists, sort of the quote-unquote alternative methods, most of us will do cash, cash only as our practice. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually quite a few medical doctors switching over to that cash model so that they don't have to wait for these insurance companies to pay them or give them the okay to do some type of procedure or order and test. Meanwhile, these people are suffering yeah because they don't because they don't fit the boxes to get the treatment you know what i mean
0: it gets frustrating it absolutely does but i think what you said there like that that cash based system is interesting because i think if everybody took what they put towards their deductibles put towards their um just monthly premiums everything like that and you just knew like okay you don't touch this money you just save like that it can just be kind of used towards that, like use it as a cash based system. And I I think you could see so many more profound impacts for people's lives because now they're going to be so much smarter about how they're going about, like you said, simple Teflon pans, like, no, don't put that garbage. Like you don't need all of these other things leaching into your body. Like you're going to take so much more, um, um, responsibility just for your health, uh, for something like that as well.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, we could totally go off, <laughs> totally <laughs> go off on that tangent and talk about like all the different economical outcomes and, and things that are going. And it's uh it's just pretty interesting to see, you know, now they have these uh, health savings accounts that a lot of employ employers will put out there, and then there's mm-hmm. the flex spending accounts. All these different ways you can save the money. Um, I mean, I see quite a few patients that I don't. I don't even quite even understand the whole thing of forced health care. I have no clue how that works, but I just know that a lot of people are spending, you know, a couple thousand a month for their insurance sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the only time you're really going to use it is in case of an emergency. And so people might have emergencies at different times, but a large percentage of the time when people have uh, injuries is when they're driving. You know, that's when a, a yeah. large percent of accidents happen is driving. Now, I mean, you may slip and fall down your stairs or something. That's a whole other story. But um, I would think that I would max out my insurance on my car, make sure I have plenty of money for that just in case something goes down because that's going to be a pretty severe something. Mm-hmm. And then put, like you were saying, put all the money in one of these flex spendings account, which can be a tax deduction if yeah. you work it right. Uh, and now you're talking about you know saving more money and getting some long-term even wealth benefits out of it so there's all kinds of things and by no means am i educated on this stuff all the way i you know i see a i see a uh, a financial advisor to tell me about all this stuff but it's pre- it's been pretty cool to learn more about it and see like oh okay that makes sense so i'd say if anyone's like questioning how to how to set their stuff up like go talk to a professional cuz they they can give you some serious education that'll help you down the road.
0: Well, are there any other trends that you see on the horizon, uh, for either maybe, Hey, healthcare, chiropractic, uh, the sport of kettlebell, like anything that you just really excited about or just anything that you think is just going to have a profound impact on the world.
1: Yeah, I actually, I've been reading this book. It's an, it's an older kind of like textbook on, it's just called the brain. And, uh, it's all it's all the functional anatomy so it doesn't go too much into physiology but it's a lot of the anatomy and seeing the connections in different parts of the brain and what's fascinating is you know again if you scroll if you have the the right not the right friends but if you have a lot of the updates <laughs> on your on your on the on your facebook or some kind of social media or something that you follow um, and maybe it's just because i'm a chiropractor and i have a lot of chiropractic friends on there I see tons of stuff where they're saying, oh, the latest research says the brain is does this thing, and the latest research says the brain does this, and the central nervous system, and the autonomic nervous system, it just goes nervous system, nervous system, nervous system. And that's where chiropractic started to begin with was we know the central nervous system has to be this kind of quote-unquote governor of the body. What are its impacts and implications, and how can we go about supporting it? And um, I think that what you're going to start to see as far as trends, we're seeing it in the fitness industry already, right? We've been seeing it for probably at least a good decade or so from, you know, people like yourself who study like something like Paul Cech's, uh stuff. And then there's a lot of other systems out there. But a lot of it's focused on the central nervous system. And from multiple standpoints, right? From the way you train to the way you recover, and I think that's going to be a trend that you're going to start to notice in the combination of, you know, you need to train well and you need to have a well-formulated uh, plan that's customized to the person, but then you need to recover well. Your adrenals, your, your thyroid, um, all these different aspects that go into recovery governed by the central nervous system to make sure you're, you're absorbing and digesting your food So that you can have the building blocks to repair your muscles you know it it, it all goes back to what's running the show and it's just going to come up more and more apparent over time as we start to learn more about these um autoimmune diseases that was a big thing that they were talking about in this podcast with bob wolf yeah um these autoimmune diseases that are that are popping up all over the place are they all similar just a different expression of the of, of a same or if not similar uh, disease, you know, and and what's what's running the show in the brain, it, it's really really fascinating. So I'm, I'm excited to see what's, what's going to be coming out.
0: Well, Drew, one thing that I'm curious about. So, not everybody has either financial resources or that they even necessarily have, like especially an upper cervical chiropractor uh, near them. I mean, are there any? steps that you could take or any tidbits like info that you have for either like cervical health or nervous system health that people can just even start to implement now?
1: Yeah, I think one of the, I think one of the things I've, um, we, I think we've touched on them already earlier. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things, you know, is drink water. Makes sense. Like (laughs) super simple. Right. But, um, You know, in in the fitness industry, things tend to go like go big or go home sort of mentality where Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, they said to drink water. So I'm going to drink a gallon a day, you know, and you have to kind of take a step back and say, okay, well, do you even require a gallon? Might be
0: appropriate depending on your size, but yeah, not everybody needs it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. If you have a five foot, uh, you know, person, tiny, 90 pounds, they might not, (laughs) (laughs) they might not need a whole gallon of water. Um, so it's going to depend on the person versus if you have like a six-foot-five uh, football athlete, you know, 300-something pounds, and they're doing a lot of work, they may they may require it. But the thing is to make sure you have balance mm-hmm. um, and just be aware and be able to track those certain types of things. So I think water is, is key. You know, we're electrical beings. Electricity travels through water. Um, and I don't really know how this works, but I've been – doing this uh vasper training have you heard of that
0: vasper you said
1: yeah vasper v-a-s-p-e-r no i'm not sure they have these um they have a headquarters out of nasa where they're doing a lot of work and uh it combines cold basically the you know your whole setup is making your body cold Mm -hmm. with compression to the muscles so blood flow restriction it's kind of a combination of the two it's really? fascinating. Yeah. 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 You might want to uh, contact them or I could put you in contact with them.
0: you have to check that uh, out.
1: Yeah. It, it's really fascinating. But so I've been learning and kind of obsessing over this cold um, therapy or cold idea. So yeah. I, you know, I Wim Hof. When we touched uh, on
0: that a little bit last time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You got Jack Cruz, um, a couple other people, and you got the cryotherapy thing. There's all this stuff around being cold. And like I was saying earlier, you know, if your computer overheats, it ain't going to work right. If your body overheats, (laughs) it ain't going to work right. So there's something about the cold. And what they're seeing at this uh, VASPER training, they're working with a lot of the same patients that we see in our office, which is, you know, people with autoimmune um, Parkinson's, MS, getting great results with them for improving their balance, stability, decreasing their symptoms um, because of this cold part of their of their exercise and uh, I'm finding that fascinating but I think between drinking water something about figuring out the cold and you know oxygen our brain needs three things it needs fuel whether it's glucose or ketones Mm -hmm. it needs um, oxygen via blood supply and then it needs stimulus. Right, so as long as as long as our brain has those three things, it's going to be able to function now to the capacity of how high it functions. That's a whole other story. But if we supply it with proper fuel, stimulus and oxygen, it's going to work at it, you know, work at its best that it can based on what it has. So if we can improve our oxygen supply by breathing right, getting our breathing mechanics down, um, making sure your spine is moving so your ribs can move properly. That's another thing. So doing some foam rolling, getting soft tissue work, just to make sure your breath is right. Um, those would be the fundamentals, I would think. So that was a really long-winded answer. I'm sorry about that. No, no, <laughs> that
0: was perfect.
1: Breathing and water and f- figuring out your mindset. I think like those are like key for nervous system health. And then, and then it may seem obvious to us, but making sure the building blocks your food. You know, um, and then exercise, activity. That's a that's a huge one. That's the stimulus. That's the input. Mm-hmm. Our mechanoreceptive input tends to be um, the majority of input that goes into the nervous system. So, and there's all kinds of benefits and hormonal things that go on from there. It's just. I mean, that would be a whole other podcast, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say, Drew. I mean, I think we could geek out all day here on some of this yeah. stuff. But why don't you just share with the listeners again where they can find out, hey, if, they, if they're out in your way, uh, if they're just looking for more information on this, uh, and just anything that you might have coming up uh, with Mike, like any, any lectures, any uh, courses that you guys are going to be given too.
1: Yep. Yeah, so you can find out more information about me. Just go to com. Uh, I'm located in the Chico office. You can type in the specific Chico on Facebook and find us there. The next event we have coming up uh, for kettlebell competition is going to be May 6th in San Jose. That is the Silicon Valley Kettlebell Open, and uh, it's going to be great for all levels of competitors, from the beginner to the you know to the professional. Um, there's going to be even like a little mini fitness competition at the end of it, so that would favor people who are actually not kettlebell athletes, but you know they do other stuff, you know CrossFit people. Uh, everyone's welcome. We just want we just want to have a fun time there. So that's going to be the next thing we got going on. And uh, yeah, I even run a, a class here in Chico once a once a week on Thursday nights, a kettlebell sport class, so that's another thing I'm doing.
0: Right on, right on. So hey. Anybody in Chico or the Chico area, I'm sure, hey, get out to that. Check some of that stuff out. Uh, go see Drew. Or even, again, if you're in a different area of the country, hey, go check out the specific. Find somebody in your area. Uh, but I, I like that you guys are a uh, big competition in San Jose. It's, hey, if you haven't competed and you're looking for to do something, get out and try it. It's a good way to push your body. Learn from yourself, and and it can be a lot of fun, too. Yep. Excellent, Drew. Well, thank you again so much for your time. Make sure everybody go check them out there, and uh, we'll talk soon.
1: All right, Nick. Take care.
0: Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to check out the show notes for today's episode. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Remember that I'm a holistic lifestyle coach and the show is sponsored by you guys. Each of you that I work with helps me to be able to put out podcasts like this for free. So thanks again for your love and support. Finally, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment comment, and 5 star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. So thank you.